What's up, guys? Rachel Lindsay here, and I am teaming up with your favorite Ringer podcasters to deliver the Bravo drama and news that you've been craving on Morally Corrupt. It's the show about all things Bravo, from the housewives to summer house and everything in between. We'll be mentioning it all every week. Check it out on Spotify and TheRinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Today's episode is about the trial between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. This is a trial that has totally captivated the country. It's obviously all over television. It's all over celebrity news, but it's really bigger than just celebrity television. I go on Twitter and it's the top of the trending topics box. I go to the New York Times and stories about Amber Heard are among the most read articles on the site. On Instagram, the story is everywhere. On TikTok, the story is everywhere. On Saturday Night Live, the story is everywhere. And I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me personally on Twitter or reached out to the show on plain English at Spotify.com to say, please do something about this Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. But I have to begin with a confession. I don't get it. Like, I, I literally don't get it. I know journalists aren't supposed to do this. We're not supposed to say like, hi, welcome to a show about a story I don't remotely understand. Please stick around while I marinate in total confusion. But literally, I I can't with this story. To use the old adage, this is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. The riddle is why people are so, so, so obsessed with the story. The mystery is why people hate Amber Heard so much. And the enigma is why online fandom is so friggin' weird and why being a internet fan or an internet anti-fan makes us act so stupidly. But first, as we like to do on the show, when the news is maximally strange, just the facts, a brief history of Depp v. Heard. Amber Heard met Johnny Depp in 2009, filming the movie The Rum Diary, which nobody saw. They started dating in 2011. They got married in 2015. Heard filed for divorce about a year later in 2016. She got a temporary restraining order against Depp that alleged abuse, both verbal and physical. They settled that in court and Heard promised to donate her proceeds to charity. There was a restraining order that was dismissed and they issued a joint statement saying the relationship was, quote, intensely passionate and at times volatile, end quote. Two years after that, Depp's career starts to fall apart. In 2018, he sues a British newspaper, The Sun, for calling him a, quote, wife beater. Heard testifies at that trial. Depp loses the case. Movie fans begin to turn on Amber Heard. Two million of them sign a petition to get her fired from the movie Aquaman. In December 2018, Amber Heard publishes an op-ed in the Washington Post, timed with the release of Aquaman, that says she is, quote, a public figure representing domestic abuse, end quote. The ACLU reportedly ghostwrites that op-ed for her for some reason. A little weird, but not criminal. Johnny Depp then sues Amber Heard for defamation for $50 million. Amber Heard countersues Johnny Depp for $100 million. And now we have the trial. So that brings us up to date. And to start things off, I wanted to bring onto the pod our producer, Devin Manzi, to beg her for some clarity on this situation. So Devin, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hi, uh, it's going great. It's surreal to be here. 
So uh, how closely have you followed the story and what is so interesting about it to you? At this point, it's it's sort of hard to avoid anything about it, I would say. It's, it's hard to find someone who truly knows nothing about it because I feel like both online and in conversations with my friends and my coworkers, it's just everywhere. And it's everything that people want to talk yeah, even about. Even the people that are ignoring the Depp Heard trial are like actively ignoring the Depp Heard trial. They're like, I am doing my best to like ski around the obstacle that is the news about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard that keeps flying at me through uh, my computer screen. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I, re- I read I read an, uh, a headline that apparently it's it's more um, sort of popular online than the Roe versus Wade um, overturning, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, interesting to say the least. Uh, Debt versus Heard in the long run probably is going to have less to do with the future of American politics and policy than Roe versus Wade. Uh, but there's something about this that I that I really really fascinates me. Like the details of this case, who did what to whom? To a certain extent, I have to declare like epistemic bankruptcy here. Like I don't know. I will never know. I am personally not going to investigate exactly what Johnny did or did not throw at Amber and whether or not Amber did or did not take shit on his bed. But the thing that I do know that is very very confusing is how much the internet seems to hate Amber Heard. Have you seen this? Have you just seen how people online are to have it out for Amber Heard for some reason? Yeah, I mean, at first I was like, oh, I, I didn't realize Johnny Depp had so many millions of like diehard fans that just were completely silent until now. Um, I I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, I'm sure it is for some people, but I don't think that, you know, everybody is super uh, concerned with, Johnny Depp receiving justice and, and you know, um, finding out who really was in the wrong versus who was in the right. It feels like it's more about creating this kind of gotcha moment for a woman. Um, it feels like this desire to create this like, oh, you know, you were wrong um, to kind of prove this woman wrong is somewhat rooted a little bit in internal and external misogyny. It's like, you know, women have spent the last decade with the Me Too movement sort of coming more into their their power. And this trial has in a way become kind of like a symbol of people trying to take a little bit of that power back. I think that's exactly right. And so to help us understand this, we're going to bring on my colleague at The Atlantic, Caitlin Tiffany. Caitlin is a writer about all things strange on the internet, and she wrote a very conveniently titled article for The Atlantic called Why the Internet Hates Amber Heard. So next up, we'll be talking to Caitlin. I'm Derek Thompson. This is Plain English. Caitlin Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Caitlin, why is the internet so obsessed with this trial? <laughs> um, well, I think one thing to understand about like why so much of the trial stuff seems to be everywhere is that it is like emanating from these groups of people that are already really tightly connected and networked. So that would be, you know, the Johnny Depp 
fandom um, or related groups that are sympathetic to the Johnny Depp fandom. Um, This is sort of why, like, I mean, not to like draw this comparison right off the top, but um, this is sort of like why Gamergate felt unavoidable, right? Like not because literally every person on the internet was interested in it, but because it started with these groups who are super tightly networked, really good at like signal boosting and just like pushing things out over and over until like eventually it does hit that point of like mass interest or like even just mass passing interest. So um, can we just do a quick 101 on what Gamergate was? I know that's like a really complicated question because it was like a thousand things that somewhat predicted the internet age in which we all live. But like in a nutshell, what was Gamergate? Yeah, Gamergate's like, like I don't know, arguably the most like important <laughs> like cultural historical event of my adult life. Um, <laughs> but uh, it started actually like when I was my first year as a journalist, like at a tech website. So it's very intimately acquainted with um, with Gamergate. But basically, like Gamergate was this elaborate, like I guess you could say, like system or network of harassment campaigns that started in the video game sphere um, and was directed at women in that industry and then just radiated outwards to to be sort of this just like massive outpouring of misogyny and um, reactionary politics on the internet. And a lot of these people that were harassing women, uh, harassing female journalists uh, often in, in Gamergate, were really tightly connected like within the network of uh, people on Reddit or Twitter or Facebook and Instagram. Like if you think about sort of how the internet kind of works a little bit like a virus. This is an old metaphor that has been unfortunately brought very, very close to our lives in the last two years. What you're talking about with like well-connected individuals is kind of like super spreaders. Like the same way that we understand that with the virus, there's certain people that are more efficient at spreading the virus within an indoor environment. There's certain people online that by, by virtue of where they are in a network, they have really influential friends, or by sheer simple virtue of the fact that they have a lot of followers, like they don't have... 50, they have 500,000 or a million people that are closely connected to them. If they want to push a message that says, attack this female journalist, attack this male journalist, attack Amber Heard, they'll be very influential because of the scale of their uh, of their reach and the scale of the people that are uh, first order connected to them. Is that right? Totally. And I think like even more so than, than during Gamergate, like we now have an internet that has like, pretty coherent incentive structures where, um, you know, there, there comes a, a like easy to spot tipping point where there's enough interest in a topic, um, that if you start creating content about that topic, it can be hugely beneficial for you. So this obviously started with fans, um, of Johnny Depp, like pushing out these narratives. And then quickly it becomes something that, you know, a general interest YouTuber is going to make a video about because it will get a million views. Or, um, like I recently wrote about this woman who used to be sort of a generic, like Instagram lifestyle influencer and has since grown her audience like exponentially by covering these like pop culture, true crime, um, you know, stories that blow up overnight. Like she did a lot of stuff about Free Britney and Gabby Petito, whatever. So I think it's like that, that two-step um, like is what really gets it to the point where like every single person in your life is like, wow, um, why am I seeing so much stuff about this trial? 
Right. So what you're saying is like the there's sort of like two waves of anti-Amber Heardism. The first wave of anti-Amberism are Johnny Depp fans. These are people who have lots of followers and love pirates, love, I don't know, Edward Scissorhands. They love the whole Johnny Depp canon. And the second this trial starts, they start pushing out a bunch of negative stuff about Amber, Amber Heard, and they got, get a lot of attention from their own communities. The second wave of Amberism is all these people who are like lifestyle bloggers or lifestyle vloggers on YouTube seeing, hmm, what is everyone talking about? What's the trending topic of the day? Oh, it seems to be finding various ways to hate on Amber Heard. And so kind of like mercenaries, they come out of the woodwork and they start producing content that is likely to get them a lot of clicks. And suddenly this sort of second wave blooms the anti-Amber Heard movement where it now is just this like all-consuming beast on the internet. Yeah, totally. And then like, you know, both of those groups are able to sort of appeal to people that have like natural sympathies for what they're doing. So like you, you, you know, the easy thing to compare this to would be QAnon, like people who love puzzles or love to believe that there are like, you know, secret machinations behind Hollywood or behind like what the press isn't telling you, like they'll be drawn in, they'll be curious about this story. Similarly, like, I think there's been some coverage of like men's rights activists who like, you know, want to emphasize how women can manipulate and destroy men. Like this is a convenient story for them too. So you're all the, like, it's just going to be this like, sort of like rolling. Right. That's the third junk. and the fourth <laughs> wave and the fifth wave and the sixth wave. Yeah. So let's get to the article that you wrote for the Atlantic uh, called, and we've already started to answer this question, why the internet hates Amber Heard. Describe first the nature of the internet's hatred for Amber Heard. Like, give me examples. What level of disgust are we talking about here? Yeah, like total disgust. <laughs> um, I think like what really drove it home for me and made me be like, this is really bizarre is that like I follow a lot of Harry Styles fans on Twitter and I started to see them tweeting like, you know, listening to Amber Heard makes me sick. Like Amber Heard is the is the plague. Um, and then, so so that was pretty startling because I, I thought that language was like pretty strong and unexpected from from them, especially because the Harry Styles fandom considers itself to be pretty progressive. Um, and then, you know, the the uh, the second thing that I noticed that was really jarring was on TikTok. There were a lot of teenagers who were like acting out. Um, you know, Amber Heard's claims from her testimony about like specific instances of her, you know, being like violently abused they were acting that on tiktok to make fun of them in the way that's just like you like you could probably write a thesis paper on some of these tiktoks because there's just like so much going on it's so weird to see like a teenage girl ask her boyfriend to put on a pirate beard and pretend to slap her in the face as a joke but um like <laughs> the, uh, just the, uh, there's no way that people can see this but I, I'm, I'm shaking my head in just utter bafflement and confusion here but it's, <laughs> it, it's also and we're going to touch on this at the very end not only is it confusing just like in the abstract, it's specifically confusing given that we're supposed to be in the era of Me Too. Like, I feel like we just had this national lesson in how women who plausibly um, put forth accusations of physical and verbal abuse should be believed. Believe women. And this is the this is the exact opposite. This isn't just don't believe women. This is don't believe women and then investigate all the ways that they might be evil. And then also like jokingly reenact their stories of abuse on TikTok for likes and shares. Like it's it's utterly strange to me what is happening here. And you had a really interesting theory that you put forth in your your article. It's a theory of anti-fandom. 
and you touched on this whole academic theory of anti-fandom on the internet. So tell us what that is. Who are anti-fans and what is anti-fandom? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty simple concept, just like maybe one that doesn't come up very often. Um, but anti-fandom is just like, you know, somebody who is paying close attention to a, a you know, it could be a fictional character, but, or in this case, a celebrity, um, not because they like them, but because they hate them. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's inspired by, like in this case, you know, there are Johnny Depp fans who hate Amber Heard because they feel that she is like manipulative and calculated and out to ruin his life. That's, a, I think, a huge portion of the, fa- of the anti-fans that we're talking about. There are probably a sizable number who are also just solely anti-fans of Amber Heard, like just don't like don't care about Johnny Depp, but just want to hate her. And I actually did get a bunch of emails after I wrote the story that um, I didn't read in full because, uh, well, they were too disgusting. Um, <laughs> that started off like I don't, I don't even care about Johnny Depp. Like I don't even think it's fair for you to say this is about fandom. Um, like I just think Amber Heard is repulsive. So so that's anti fandom, and it looks like fandom in a lot of its particulars, like in practice, because they're doing the same kinds of things as like, you know, keeping track of everything the person says and like, you know, searching for more photos and more videos and, um, forming opinions about the person's clothes and learning about like who their friends are, um, and you know, what their, what their interests are, all of those things that you would associate with being like a really big fan of someone that you adore. They're doing the same thing just with like a completely different, um, like motive. Before we go any deeper on anti-fandom, can you just give me something concrete about why people don't like her like maybe maybe i'm just like too agreeable to like understand this but like you know i'm not even asking you to to you know reanimate other people's disgust of amber heard so maybe just answer the question this way what is the specific thing that most people call out when they're hating on amber heard like what aspect of her presentation um especially if these people aren't fans of johnny depp it's like why are you going out of your way to hate someone what what, what yeah. is it about her I mean, I think like part of the issue is that the testimony is really complicated and Johnny Depp has made a lot of claims that Amber Heard was abusive towards him. Um, and like, you know, I don't want to like get into evaluating the validity of their various claims that they're, that are being, uh, yeah, we have no idea. in court, but, um, like, I like I do think that she's like something a little bit less than our perfect ideal of a victim. And that's confusing to people sincerely confusing to some people or to others, like sort of an opening, um, in which to say like, she is making this up. Um, like she just wants to destroy him. Um, you know, they think that she, like he's claimed that she threw a bottle at him and it cut off the top of his finger. Um, and so, you know, people draw on these really like visceral images, or he has also claimed that she like pooped in their bed. And these so people have drawn on that to paint this like picture of her as like just totally out of control and like very grotesque. It's just so interesting to me because in, in my conceptualization of it, it's like there are some relationships that are just really, really bad. There's some relationships that are just really bad. He is bad to her. Or this is a heterosexual relationship that I'm describing. He's terrible to her. She is terrible to him. They're awful to each other and they should just break up. And they did. They were married for like less than a year and they broke up and they said that they had a quote, volatile relationship in their public statement. And it's clear at least, or 
plausible that they both did either verbally or physically abusive things to each other. It's just very interesting to me that a situation like that requires that one be a fan or anti-fan of one or the other person in a relationship. Like, maybe they both just sucked for each other and acted really suckily for 11 months. Like, I'm not trying to be glib about it, but that just that just, no, that just yeah. seems like such a plausible de- description of, of, what, of what happened here, rather than one person being an angel and the other being a devil. But that's what anti-fandom does, it seems. It, it, it fits complicated reality into the straitjacket of angel devil. Um, and it, it made me think of two things. The, the first is, um, in politics, there's this concept of negative polarization, which is very popular in political science. That's the idea that um, a lot of Democrats aren't pro-Democrat. They're really fundamentally anti-Republican or even just anti-Trump. And that is how they define their political identity. They're actually kind of anti-Democrats too, but they're mostly anti-Republicans. And then on the other hand, Republicans that are like, I don't even like Trump, but I just hate the identitarian left so much that they've pushed me to becoming Republicans. This concept of negative polarization in politics is somewhat similar to anti-fandom. But the other thing it reminds me of is um, uh, the way that I listen to podcasts in in a weird way. I'm a big podcast person. I love sports podcasts. Um, And there's some days when I don't really want to listen to a podcast about a team that I like. I want something a little bit more delicious. I want to hear someone shit on a team that I don't like um, or a player that I don't like. Like that is the best way to wake up in the morning is to like have a really articulate description of why the person or team that you hate is even worse than you thought. And like, I, 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 get to a certain extent where that motivation for anti-fandom might come from. But as you point out, in this case, it goes one level deeper. They're not just negatively polarized. They don't just enjoy hearing about their uh, least favorite player being shitty. They're looking for ways, they're sleuthing for ways to prove that Amber Heard is the demon, right? Talk a little bit about this sort of detective work that is a part of the anti-Amber internet. Yeah. So, um, I think like that's another reason that people are really drawn to the story is because there's so much material. So, you know, um, some of the accounts I'm following people are, you know, actually digging through the testimony line by line. They're looking at, um, you know, previous court records. They're looking at, um, you know, if Amber Heard mentions like the specific date that, that something happened to her, like that she was abused, they're then going to find like every photo of her taken around that date to kind of say like, well, does it look like she was suffering? Doesn't look like she was um, miserable, whatever. Um, so going through like any photo they can get their hands on or um, a lot of the courtroom analysis has been like, zooming in and like slowing down and like attempting to provide captions for things that people are saying under their breath or attempting to analyze people's body language and like what that might reveal about what they're saying, which is something that was super familiar to me from reporting on um, the anti-fans in the One Direction fandom who were really, um, you know, obsessed with one of the band members, um, he had like a a woman he was casually seeing got pregnant and they were infuriated by this because it seemed to counter or like confuse their story about him being gay and closeted and secretly in love with Harry Styles. So they did a ton of like digging up videos um, and providing their own captions for them that like would go viral on Tumblr. If you were inclined to believe them, um, they would seem like, you know, 
this is evidence. Like, this is what they're saying. And then if you would actually watch it closer, you'd be like, oh, I, like, I actually can't hear anybody saying what this caption says. Like, I, you know, um, but like this, I, I thought that was like, so bizarre at the time. Cause this was like 2015, like before people were really talking so much about like media manipulation or like <laughs> disinformation, malinformation, right. There, there was no even, you know, Biden disinformation governance board for us to, to have a, um, a fracas about. Um, it's interesting because this connects with my theory that the internet just makes detectives of us all for better or worse, because we all have access to the same machine and the same internet. We feel like we have equal access to the truth. And this is beautiful in some ways. It, 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 allows us to become smarter. It allows us to become expert at various things that we didn't necessarily study or that outside of our of our interests and domains. But it also allows us to, you know, get out of our lane, get into a lane we don't know a whole lot about, and get sort of sucked down a rabbit hole of disinformation and become totally deluded about a subject. Um, I, th I see this as a part of QAnon. I see it as a part of vaccine denial. Uh, this ability of average internet users to be their own detectives is this uh, very complicated good thing that also has all of these bad implications. Um, Producer Devin has a question for you. Devin, go right ahead. I, I do have a question. Um, and this is something that's sort of been like the most mystifying thing for me about the whole Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial social media response. So you you know you mentioned that like a lot of Harry Styles stands are getting into it online um, and are super anti Amber Heard. I would assume that a lot of Harry Styles fans are women themselves. Um, so what what's behind sort of the large amount of women that are also piling onto Amber Heard. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like partly it's just because like of where the story was born. Like there was just a lot of women in this fandom, but like that is a consistent part of like the anti-fandom conspiracy theories that I've looked into in the past. And like you see like women in particular doing these like really weird contortions around like, you know, obviously if you're like picking apart this woman's image and like calling her a liar in the public eye and like, you know, relying on all these tropes about like gold diggers or like Jezebels or whatever, like that's obviously misogynistic. Like that's just plainly the definition of misogyny. But a lot of them will say like, no, um, actually like basically like as a woman, like I can see through her, um, like men can't necessarily see what we see. Um, and it's sexist for you to tell me that I can't do this because she's a woman. Um, and like, especially in this case, I feel like a lot of participants have really like evoked their like moral duty to me too, almost like, um, you know, there's insist that like, you know, if she is a liar, like she's destroying me too. And like making things worse for, you know, quote unquote, real victims of abuse. And like, ultimately as a feminist, it's like my responsibility to kind of like police the borders of this movement so that it's not corrupted. And, you know, like I, not a psychologist, I think, but that's like, I mean, I think it's pretty delusional and it's like a little bit of like this, like, yeah, like, as I said, like, kind of contorting um, in order to, like, make things fit their, like, you know, progressive framework. But 
I think it's so interesting to think about this coexisting with the Me Too movement, which is no more than a few years old. And you sort of play this out a little further. I think this is a point that Michelle Goldberg made in the New York Times today or yesterday. Uh, I mean, even the New York Times, for example, if you go to like the most popular articles, like half of them are about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp right now. This art, this story has completely taken over the world. Um, but she makes the point um, here, quoting from her now, quote, if Depp somehow prevails, one can expect similar lawsuits against other women who say they've suffered abuse. Already, the singer Marilyn Manson has filed a defamation lawsuit against his ex-fiance, Evan Rachel Wood, who, by the way, has accused him of all sorts of things and uh, has this a documentary on HBO. Uh, continuing to read, and one of several women who have accused him of sexual violence, end quote. So it just, it seems to me that like a lot of these women, if they are indeed trying to protect Me Too, are somewhat burning the bridge they hope to cross because they're they're creating a scenario by which every time a famous person is accused of physical or verbal abuse, it could potentially become open season on the accuser because they won't be perfect. There's never going to be an angel fallen from heaven who accuses a celebrity of physical or verbal abuse. There's going to be something in their past that is at least a little bit, I don't know, questionable, sketchy, like whatever sort of normal human adjective word you want to use. So um, it just makes me concerned that this playbook can be run indefinitely. Like maybe Amber Heard really is bad. I have no idea about her moral character. Maybe she is as bad as some of the uh, as some of the conspiracy theorists say. Um, but you can run this playbook on anyone, and it creates a scenario where coming out against a celebrity uh, for for verbal and physical abuse is extremely risky because you're afraid of getting the Amber Heard treatment. Optimistically, I guess I would like to hope that this is this this like rash of um backlash is so blatant and like so bizarre that like people will learn from it more quickly than maybe they have from like previous similar incidents like you know um took us like what 15 years to deal with the Britney Spears um issue but um yeah I think that is it is like troubling and it's strange to think about this isn't necessarily like young women. Yeah. Isn't where I would have imagined a me too backlash, um, stemming from, um, especially like not in this convoluted way where, um, you know, I, some of them, I think probably sincerely think they're defending it. Um, others, I think probably are covering up like an opinion that they had the whole time, which is that like, uh, women are liars or, um, or that it was like an elitist movement. It was only ever about celebrities or whatever, which, you know, I think maybe there's some validity to, to some of that criticism um, at some level, but yeah. <laughs> I wonder, my last question for you is what the big picture takeaway from this episode is. I think for me, the big picture takeaway is that like the social physics of the internet has no moral conscience, like the exact same logic by which seeing a trend of dumping an ice bucket of water on your head to support a terrible disease, research for a terrible disease, is the exact same social logic that leads like NSYNC's Lance Bass to act out Amber Heard's testimony uh, um, to get likes on TikTok. Like it's the same thing, like people 
aren't thinking when they log online with like their moral mind, first and foremost. They're thinking with their social mind. They're thinking like, how do I get likes and retweets and shares and build social status on the internet? And sometimes the way to do that is just to do what everyone else is doing. So when everyone else is acting ethically, I guess that's kind of nice, but when everyone else is just attacking Amber Heard because everyone else is attacking Amber Heard, and it's basically a cascade of social influence, then people act like dicks. And like, that's like my kind of big takeaway is that like the same, the same function can force us toward like good or morally um, ambivalent sort of, you know, viral trends and like sort of absolutely bizarre, inexplicably horrible mass behavior. For me, approaching it from like, as someone who's really interested in fandom and has focused on fandom for a long time, I think this is also an important moment for people to think about like, um, you know, the way that we understand different groups on the internet, I think has been pretty simplistic for a long time. Like, you know, you, everyone knows Gamergate is bad or everyone knows the angry 4chan boys are, are bad. And that when they, um, try to manipulate the, the topic of conversation on the internet, that internet, that we should be scared of that. But, um, you know, more recently, there's been a lot of talk about fandom being this like progressive and inspiring movement. Um, you know, when, when K-pop fans were taking down like police apps during the Black Lives Matter movement, people were really excited about that. And that is like an interesting and inspiring use of the tactics of fandom. But these things exist on the same spectrum. They're using the same, um, tactics for amplification. They can sort of, um, exploit people in the same way. And like, it's just something to be aware of rather than just assuming like any time, you know, you know, that like teen girls on the, on the internet are harmless. And it's, it's like the, the incels that we need to be worried about all the time. It's like the internet is a dangerous machine, like in anybody's hands. The internet is a dangerous machine in anybody's hands. Caitlin, Tiffany, <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you. So Devin, what'd you think? I, I think that that was all really fascinating. It's um, the, the kind of like hive mind of the internet is just a really um, fascinating thing. And I, I admittedly, I spend a lot of time on the internet. I spend a lot of time um, on Reddit. It's probably the most embarrassing thing about me, but I, I've been noticing this kind of growing movement of more misogyny, both kind of internal and external. And I'm hoping this doesn't sound, you know, too conspiracy theory-y, but I feel like it's kind of a reaction to the whole Me Too era and to, you know, the Trump election. And um, yeah, I don't know. I've just been noticing online. It's It's been, people have been growing bolder and louder and this has kind of become like a, a lightning rod for all of that. Yeah, I think I think culture's a pendulum, you know? I, I, I would love to uh, pretend that like, the the arrow of progress is purely linear and things just get better and better and better. Um, but culture's a pendulum. Like we swing one way in terms of Me Too. And what happens is we swing to a place where a lot of people feel like the pendulum has swung too far and they wait for a moment, I think, to like let spring this deep well of misogyny. And they find a moment like this when a lot of people, whether it's Johnny Depp fans or the second wave of, uh, you know, Instagram mercenaries who want to hop on the Johnny Depp fan wave, they see this happening and they say, oh, this is my opportunity to finally say what I've always thought about Me Too, which is that I think it's totally bullshit. And I hate that we have to pretend that women are always telling the truth because I hate blah, 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 blah. And suddenly they're out with it. And so we're seeing 
all sorts of attitudes that I think some men, and I guess some women too, have toward women that for a few years were sort of like stifled because what was what was going viral were Me Too sentiments rather than anti-Amber sentiments. And I think, you know, one of my big takeaways, I guess, is just like, this is just bizarrely and unfortunately like how culture works is it works in this weird pendulum-y kind of thing. Um, to a certain extent, I guess you could argue that a similar thing is happening in the um, LGBTQ area where you had a Supreme Court case that legalized gay marriage, and that was clearly a high watermark legally for the gay rights movement. But now I think in a lot of different states, you see a variety of bills um, that I would describe as relatively straightforwardly uh, homophobic. So there again, you see the the the, the pendulum of culture swinging back. And I don't know, to, to me, that's that's another takeaway from this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my takeaway is is just that I am worried a little bit, um, you know, not specifically uh, in regards to this trial, but more sort of just about the precedent that it sets. Because exactly like what sort of Caitlin was saying, I've been noticing online stuff about, you know, like the Marilyn Manson case and people are, are saying, you know, oh, well, you know, if if Amber was lying about this, Evan Rachel, Rachel Wood is probably lying too. And I've just, it sets a kind of scary precedent that I think, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to continue. The precedent uh, is backtracking. I, I think that real progress was made in, in the Me Too movement in terms of not immediately jumping to the conclusion that uh, beautiful women who claim verbal and physical abuse are probably hiding something and just out to get their alleged abusers. Like that was a good thing to overcome. And I'm a little bit concerned that we're undoing some of that progress uh, with the Amber Heard trial. That said, again, I, I, I return to my initial statement about this case, which is utter bafflement. I have no idea what happened behind the scenes. Um, and uh, I, I'm trying to remain relatively ambivalent uh, about, the, about the details of the case. Um, Devin, thank you very much. My I pleasure. will see you next week. And everyone else, I will see you next week. Bye.